Tonight's reading is Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. For the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a harp, O God, my God. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. This is God's word. Uh, good evening, let me have my uh, welcome. Uh, my name's uh, Matt Fuller, and uh, well done for working out that the clocks went back before 6.30 tonight. That's always uh, a triumph. Hope you've enjoyed Census Day. No, not really. It's not very exciting, is it? Um, let, me, uh, let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the honesty of your word. Thank you that uh, you give us a permission in the scriptures, a permission in these prayers you've recorded of believers from centuries ago to cry out to you with great delight, uh, but also in great distress. Would we learn rightly how you should relate to you in times of joy, in times of dryness? Help us relate rightly to you so we honor you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we then continue our series in the book of Psalms, which we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And uh, we call it Praying with uh, Passion, because uh, the Psalms help us move on from a perhaps a superficiality in the Christian life. You can't really read through the book of Psalms. You can't pray the prayers that are in them and just sort of plod along through the Christian life. 
because they're quite intense, most of them. Both the highs and the lows. Because the Christian faith is very real about life in this world. There are great delights, but sometimes life is hard, very hard at times. So if you notice, we've, we're slightly alternating uh, at the moment, week by week. So we started looking at doubts. Uh, and then last week, we looked at the delight of uh, coming and uh, meeting with God's people. Uh, tonight, we're looking really at depression. Uh, next week, the delight of being forgiven. And so you may think to yourself, well, I've come on the wrong night then, haven't I? <laughs> if it's depression, because I walked in, I've had quite a nice day, and now you're going to kill that off, aren't you? Uh, or actually, I am feeling quite low at the moment, and you're going to make me feel worse. Thanks for that. Well, hopefully not. But this is life in the real world. And if you're a Christian, you, you want this. You want a faith that is able to cope with both the highs and lows of life. And actually, if you're not yet a Christian, wouldn't be persuaded yet. You, that's a worldview or a system you need, able to cope with both the highs and the lows of life. And uh, tonight, we're in one of the lows. But uh, I hope it's um, helpful. God has put it here for us to uh, learn from, wherever we may be. Now, I'm going to use the term, I have to be honest with you, depression quite loosely this evening uh, as we work through the psalm to try and apply it as widely as possible. Of course, there is an enormous spectrum within that term from feeling low, uh, a day which is a bit low, uh, a a period which is a, a little bit blue, to... Uh, A full uh, melancholia, a severe, prolonged, depressive disorder. Of course, there's a, within the term depression, there's an enormous uh, spectrum. And I, I am going to use the term quite broadly. And of course, I hope for most this is uh, preventative medicine or uh, will help you to help others. Uh, And yet, of course, there are some uh, amongst us, some here tonight, for whom this has been and may well be a lifelong struggle with uh, depression at the more severe end, and um, need to recognize that. And just <laughs> before we jump in a little bit further, of course, if you're thinking, oh, well, goodness sake, what sort of church is this? This isn't going to uplift me, is it? Um, let me just remind you of one of the things we've sung, of, we've sung of the man of sorrows, of course, Jesus Christ, who in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14 can say, my heart is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, what are you going to say to him? Well, pull yourself together, man. No, there is the perfect man who experienced a full range of emotions. My heart is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he can declare. And yet, of course, I think we'd have to admit uh, he's the only one who's ever related to God perfectly. He lived a human life perfectly. So in reading these words, we can, I think, learn from him. Jesus certainly would have been able to have expressed these. Let me, one other comment really before I jump into uh, the psalm itself. At the risk of being absolutely facilely simplistic, broad brush, um, caveat, caveat, there are three things um, which will generally lead into someone falling into a period of depression. One would be temperament. And you know what? There's not a lot you can do about that. Uh, Some people have a temperament which will lean towards depressive. Some have temperaments which are not. They're very upbeat and and chipper and jovial. Now, you need to know yourself. That's the most useful thing you can do. And every temperament has its strengths and its weaknesses. 
Uh, many of those who tend towards depressive are creatively brilliant and geniuses. Um, uh, there's obvious strengths to having that sort of character, but you need to be aware and self-aware that you can tend towards depression. Simply, if you're uh, Mr. Chipper, uh, upbeat, always positive, you'll have different temptations and you may drift into a life of frivolity. So, you know, different temperaments have different issues or, or possibilities of, of going off the rails slightly in different ways. You need to know yourself. But you know what? Temperament, there's not a lot you can do about that, really. Second thing which will play into uh, depression would be circumstances. So, you lose a loved one. You have an accident which disables you. You have a period of chronic fatigue. You diagnose a severe illness. You have a loved one die. You are exhausted. You are stressed. Now, those are all external circumstances upon you. And there is a limit to what you can do about them sometimes. Now, there are some things you can do, of course. You know, sometimes the most godly thing you can do in the world is to go to bed early, sometimes. Uh, and a good night's sleep can sometimes, you know, if your mind is going crazy, that can do the trick. You know, sometimes there are things you, if it is your work that is really stressing you out, you might be able to move jobs. If you're absolutely exhausted, a holiday might help. You know, there are some things you can do about circumstances, but you can't change everything about them. You may not, can't change necessarily a period of chronic fatigue. So there's some things you can do about circumstances. Of course, one, one of the things, one of the circumstances that often or has uh, is strongly linked to depression and you can do something about is sin. You can do something about that. If, if, you know, the scenario where someone is, is conducting an extramarital affair and feels guilty and that, that stresses them out, well, yeah, you could do something about that. Or someone is covering up corruption in the office place and that, in the office and that makes them really stressed and, and, and leads them into, well, you can do something about that. Sometimes you can do something in, in that scenario. So there's some things you can do. And if you have a certain temperament, and if circumstances are pushing you into depression, there's something practically, there are steps you can take. And obviously, another one would be go to a doctor. Let him help you, or her help you. They may be able to say, no, look, here's what you need to do. You just need to change your lifestyle a little bit. And then, of course, for some, some will know that the recommendation would be for a prolonged period of more severe depression, uh, medication, um, some psychological treatments, and they may well be necessary to help uh, move, move back and out of that depression. So there are some things you can do about circumstances, but you can't always change them. Temperament, well, that's yours. Uh, circumstances, you might be able to change something about. Third and last, and here's where the psalm's at, faith will make a difference in how you respond. How... How do you respond to circumstances? What will you do? Now, culturally, this is not a, not a controversial point at all. Culturally, any medic will tell you this, or anyone who's done any research. Culturally, we've become a little bit feeble as a culture at responding to negative circumstances or afflictions that come upon us. So the stats vary, but everyone would agree that uh, the, the um, uh, depression has risen exponentially over the last three generations. It just continues to go up and up and up and up and up. Now, the, apparently, the, the, the key reasons that play into this, so they say culturally, individualism. So loneliness in a culture of individualism. 
People have so many more contacts now, but very few friends. So loneliness in a culture of individualism. Failure in a culture of self-promotion. If you grow up in a culture that says you can be anything you want to be, you are the best. You are the best. You are the best. Well, hold on a minute. Only one can be the best. And so, you, you know, you, you, you imbibe this all your life and then you fail and say, oh, oh, oh. Um, so, uh, uh, loneliness, um, failure in a culture of self-promotion. And then the other one that people talk about is um, boredom in a culture of entertainment. Where the culture says, you know, chase the latest thing. Something is exciting over there, quick. Something's exciting over there, quick. Chase that. New. I'm bored now. I'm bored. Amuse me. Amuse me. And that's how many of us grow up here living our lives. We don't literally say that. If you do, you really are um, bored. Um, but that, we grow up in that sort of culture. And so, actually, life often is not that amusing. <laughs> Sometimes you kind of just go to work and do a reasonable job. And it's not crazy. Um, for most of us in our work, well, some of you maybe. The, um, but isn't that crazy in the workplace? So culturally, we're less able to deal with uh, perhaps uh, uh, circumstances which might push us to depression. But in this last category, what do you do? It is a choice how we interpret our circumstances. Whether we choose to groan or fight against God and rage against God or ask God or cry out to God or collapse and give up. How we respond, that is our decision. So this is utterly simplistic, I know, I know. But temperament, you can't do a lot about that. Circumstances, there are some things you can do sometimes, not always. But your response, your faith, how you react, that's the one where we can do something proactively. And really Psalms 42 and 3 are about that. And these two Psalms, really, that if I tried to sum them up, it would be, don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. We are not the helpless victims of our emotions. Let's have a jump in. Uh, these two psalms then, really, I think they are one psalm. Um, uh, psalm 42 has this little introduction for the director of music, uh, the superscription, so it's called. Psalm 43, none of that. Uh, they do slightly uh, run into one another. It clearly breaks into three sections or stanzas, verses 1 to 5, 6 to 11, then 43, 1 to 5. Uh, each of the stanzas concludes with the psalmist's defiant cry of, for example, chapter 42, uh, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior and my God. I think it's one psalm. The two factors that have led into this man's depression, they seem to be the absence of God and the presence of mockers. Okay, so that comes up in every one of the sections, the absence of God, the presence of mockers. So chapter 42, verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? End of verse 3, men say to me all day long, where's your God? Absence of God, presence of mockers. Uh, verse 9 and 10. I say to my God, why have you forgotten me? End of verse 10. My foes taunt me, where is your God? Chapter 43, verse 2. 
You, my God, why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? So those are the two things that are feeding into this man's particular issue. Absence of God, presence of people mocking him, oppressing him. Uh, That's the, the backdrop for him. And yet the three stanzas, they focus on slightly different elements of his condition or his symptoms. So I want to run through, uh, run through them uh, fairly quickly. They're on the back of the sheets. And uh, then once after running through them, draw some conclusions about what practically to do. Okay? So let's run through the three, the three stanzas. First then, chapter 42, verses 1 to 5. He's parched without God. Chapter 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? So here it's a, it's a vivid picture of an animal at the point of collapse, just desperate to get to the watering hole, completely exhausted, longing to meet with his God. And yet... Um, Perversely, at the same time, verse 3, he's got plenty of water. So verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. He pours out, he cries endlessly. There may be a literal sense to that. Often if you are depressed, you will lose all sense of appetite. Just won't want to eat at all. And even though you know it may be irrational. One man who has written loads and loads on the issue of depression uh, the great Baptist spe- uh, preacher Charles Spurgeon, who is probably the best preacher this country has ever produced, is what everyone always says, so I should say it as well. The, um, probably the best preacher. The, uh, uh, preached for years to, you know, to crowds of thousands and thousands and thousands. Um, suffered all his life with depression. He put it this way in, in one of his diary entries. I would weep by the hour and then weep for another hour. And yet... I never knew what I was weeping for. Just got into that frame of mind. He just couldn't break out of it. Now, for him, circumstances, he suffered with gout all his life, and eventually it killed him. But sometimes he just, I'm weeping, and I, I know it's irrational. I know it makes no sense, but I, all day long, that was his diet. And this tied in with the longing for God. It's very common that if, if you're depressed, you feel the absence of God, a sense of spiritual desertion. Very common to question, am I really a, a, a believer? If God is letting this happen to me, or, and I feel such flatness, how can I be a believer? Quite a common experience for people who are suffering in this way. He can remember better days, so verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Now, I don't know if these memories are encouraging him or mocking him. I think it's quite hard to tell, actually. But he's clearly a long way from Jerusalem, where the house of God is. Verse 6, we're told, he's uh, in the north of the country, the heights of Hermon. He's homesick, he's alone. And just as we're passing through very practically, worth bearing in mind that loneliness 
will often lead to a depressed state of mind. Just very common indeed. Certainly for myself, age 22, when I moved to London, I was just working flat out. I had plenty of friends in the city, but never really got to see them. I was living in the wrong part of town. And I just worked and worked and worked and worked. And I was, I've, you know, that's, I've been at my lowest point. I've never been so miserable. Didn't need much more than that. But loneliness will often lead this way. So whenever you change, it's worth bearing in mind. If you move to a new city and lose your friendship networks and uh, accountability structures and people around you, you just... Mind the gap, as they say on the tube, because there's always dangerous times that something could slightly go off the rails, particularly if you're moving country or moving city. Um, you've got to be aware of that. Because when physically distant, you can feel emotionally distant as well from people. So he's parched, is the first thing. And so he cries out at the end, Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? So he's parched. Second uh, little stanza, uh, verses 6 to 11, he's overwhelmed, is really, I think, the dominant theme here. He's overwhelmed. So verse 6, it starts positively. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I remember you. I remember you, Lord, from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon. But then verse 7, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now, objectively, he's, he's, he's just got it wrong. Um, if he's staring at the river Jordan, as he describes, you don't go to the Jordan for surfing. It is a river, but it doesn't really have waves and breakers. There's no uh, Hawaii Five-O. There's no, it's not Newquay. Um, you don't go there to surf. When he's saying your waves and breakers are breaking over me, that is, that's not literally true. Just emotionally, he's staring at the water and says, I feel like I'm drowning. Deep calls out to deep. It feels like I'm, I've jumped in the ocean and I can see the light, the sunlight on the water, but I'm just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And all I hear is nothing. I just hear silence. I hear the deep calling to the deep. And what does it say? It says nothing. It says you're alone. It's very quiet. And you know, it's like, you know, if, um, if you do get caught up in, in, in surf and you're just, thrown to the ground. It is overwhelming. And that's what he says, I feel that way. I feel overwhelmed. I feel exhausted. I feel permanently tired. I don't want to do anything. I just want to stay at home. Now, I, I have to say, honestly, I've never suffered uh, depression. The closest I saw it was um, uh, in my wife, uh, three months in hospital, uh, and then she came out uh, with a newborn baby and just couldn't cope and just sat on the sofa all day long and cried. You know, my incredibly competent wife just cried all day long and did nothing. And I vividly remember that towards the end of this period when she was coming out of this, coming home one day, and she greeted me at the door with enormous excitement and said, I made a sandwich today. I made a sandwich today. I made it all on my own. And you think, <laughs> you know, well done. Um, you're 32 years old. Uh, but that for her was massive because she'd just been overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Incapable of doing anything. And some will know that. I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to do anything. Completely 
overwhelming, crushed by apathy. And that's, when you see it in other people, it's the indifference that is so hard, I think. I was talking to a chap the other day who you know, is suffering with depression. And he said, I'm not angry with God. I just don't care. Is he there? Is he not there? I don't care. Not angry. Just indifference. Overwhelming. And it can happen to all sorts of people. Um, many famous names to name. You know, Abraham Lincoln. Looks like he suffered, or um, observers say he suffered with depression for the whole of his life. Certainly during the period in office. Here's um, one point, uh, uh, an extract from one letter he wrote. While president of the U.S., I am now the most miserable man on this earth. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would be not one cheerful face left on earth. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully fear that I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must now die or become better. There's no choice left to me. Yeah. And that's how he felt, completely overwhelmed. Now, there are more, gl- there are more glimmers of uh, more positive thinking in, in the psalm. So he can say that. He's overwhelmed. And then verse 8, Well, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Now, he's still here referring to God in the third person. He's not appealing to God directly. He's just talking about what God is like. He's not crying out to God yet. And yet the darkness returns, verses 9 and 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning? Oppressed. Do you know what it feels like? It feels like my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taught me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? So a glimmer of light, verse 8, then the darkness descends again. And uh, uh, one man put it this way, one commentator, of the light and the dark. It's a myth that faith is always smiling. The truth is that faith sometimes feels like the very ordinary process of dragging one foot in front of the other, because we're conscious of God. That feels very much this psalmist's experience. He's not smiling in his faith. How are you? Terrific. How are you? Great. Is, have you met him? How are you? Do you know what? I just, I just, I'm, I'm a believer, just. I know there's a God, kind of. I just keep plodding on. That's his state of mind. Yet he's defiant. Verse 11. Why are you downcast? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? So he's parched, he's overwhelmed. The third uh, stanza, he's oppressed by others. And yet, there is movement. He is now addressing God. Now, we don't know the backdrop historically to what's going on here. It seems that there's a nation is about to invade. It hasn't invaded yet. It hasn't physically attacked. There's a lot of taunting and mocking. But whatever it is, verses 1 to 3, his enemies are saying nothing very helpful to him. So verse 1, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. Uh, you know, they're not saying anything helpful. And yet, in Psalm 43, there's more fight. You get an impression of a man who is slowly rising up off his knees and has got a bit more fight in him. Because chapter 43, verse 1, it's the first plea of the psalm. It's the first request. He's actually now addressing God and saying, you, God, do something. God, vindicate me. 
and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Can you act God? He's addressing the Lord directly. There are reasons for this. Verse 2, you're my stronghold. Objectively, I know who you are. Nothing has changed in my circumstances, but I know objectively you are a good God. You're my stronghold. Uh, Verse 3, another plea. Send forth your light. Send forth your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain. And another reason, verse 4, then I'll go and praise you. He's starting to anticipate joy again. So there's real progression here, actually. Verses 1 to 4, he's now crying out to the Lord, You! You, can you do something for me here? And yet, verse 5, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Oh, it's still a battle. And that's one of the blessings of having a psalm such as this in the Bible. Because many of them, they go through the dark times and they come to resolution. You get to the end of this psalm, there's no resolution. He doesn't say, and then I went and, ta-da, I was better again. It finishes with, why are you downcast? Oh, (laughs) it's not very Hollywood, is it? Not Not the sort of joyous ending. But there's progress. There is progress in Psalm 43. He's calling out to the Lord directly. One Christian who um, uh, uh, wrote on this and wrote some poems related to it, 17th century uh, uh, Christian man, George Herbert. He uh, suffered with depression all his life and um, took his life, age 39. So died a young man. But before that point, uh, he wrote a, a poem. Just to give you the first couple of stanzas of his poem. Let me uh, read it and then um, try to explain, I think, what he's saying. Oh, my dear angry Lord, since you do love, yet strike, cast down, yet help afford, surely I will do the like. I will complain, yet praise. I will bewail, yet approve. And all my sorrow sweet days, I will lament and love. This is enormously important. You see, first verse, or first stanza there, he says, God, you are good, and I am suffering. I don't get both of those. I don't get both of those. You love me, and yet you afflict me. Both of those are true. I'm, I'm a clear enough believer to know that just because life is hard, that doesn't mean you don't love me. You can both love and afflict at the same time. I see that about you, Lord. Therefore, what I'm going to do is do two things at the same time as well. I'm going to lament and praise. I'm going to say, my life is very hard right now. Lord, why are you doing this to me? Will you stop doing this to me? I'm going to complain, and yet I'm going to praise you as well. Because I know that both you are good, and yet you afflict. You allow these things to happen. I'm going to cry out and say, I don't like this. I want this to end. And I'm going to praise you at the same time. Now, I think that's a pretty mature response. And I think that's what's going on in the psalm, really. He's depressed. He is downcast. And yet, he can say, why are you doing this, Lord? But I will hope in you. I will hope in you. Even though I don't get it. 
what's going on. Now, three practical things as we finish to, uh, I think, take away uh, from a psalm such as this. And again, I know that people are in very different places. Um, you, might, you might think, oh my goodness, I'm never coming here. Next time, you know, okay, two, they, it alternates, the so next week is good, the following week is, well, I'm not coming. The no, don't do that. Um, we need the full emotional uh, range of the psalms given us. Whatever place we're in, I, I hope these are helpful. Three practical things to take away we can learn from the psalmist. The first is this, gather with the multitude. Gather with the multitude. Now, 42 verse 4, he knows that's what he wants to do. He wants to gather with the multitude. He knows that that will be good for him. Now, when you're depressed, it is very tempting to hide. To say, I don't want to meet up with anyone else. I certainly don't want to go to church. If I go there tonight, if I go there this morning, there'll be other people there and they'll be upbeat and they'll say, hi, how are you? And I'll lie to them because they don't want to hear me. They don't don't want me to say, you know what, things are bad. They don't want that. I'll be discouraging. I won't go. No, gather with the multitude. Will Will you obey the Bible? Will you obey God when he says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, Hebrews 10, 25. Will you just ignore yourself and listen to God who says you need to gather with others? You need to do that. You need to gather with the multitude. And don't say, well, you know, I can't do that because it'll be hypocritical. No, come. You need to come. And whatever you do at that point is probably an act of faith. Again, I enjoyed C.S. Lewis's comment on this psalm. The prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please God best. Now, I don't know if that's true. But I think it points to a truth. The prayers offered when we're at our lowest and we get off our knees and say, my faith is pretty feeble right now, but I'm still going to pray to you. Those are, those are real prayers of faith. So gather with the multitude. And in a church such as this, in a demographic such as this, this evening, there are people uh, suffering with depression. You know, a significant number. I mean, given the demographic profile, probably a quarter of this room have at some point or will at some point um, take medication of some kind for sleeplessness or depression. The two are quite uh, intimately related. At some point, now it could be fairly mild, it could be uh, prolonged, but it's going to happen in this room. There are a lot of people (laughs) who have prayed these prayers, Psalm 42 and 3, who know this experience who are here tonight. And you know, we're, we're blessed also with healthcare professionals who, uh, who know very much what they're doing. Be honest. Gather with the multitude and be honest. Don't believe the lie that, oh, no one really wants to hear where I'm at. People may be shocked. How are you? Do you know what? I'm really depressed. I, the uh, one church I was at years ago, the, um, uh, when I was a, a theological student, we were placed in different churches of different years. First week I went to one church, I sat down next to this woman, I said, hello, my name's Matt, uh, how are you? She said, well, to be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bipolar manic depressant, at the moment I'm right up at the bottom of my low. Okay. <laughs> but goodness me, there was honesty in that place. There was, there was an extraordinary depth of commitment to one another in that place. Um, and, um, yeah, she wasn't always at the low, and she was well able to help others at different times. So you gather, gather with the multitude. Second thing, talk to yourself. 
talk to yourself. Don't listen, talk to yourself. And one of the most important things when you drift towards depression, or even those of us who are slightly further up the scale, and are just a bit low and a bit fed up, talk to yourself. Don't give in to the wallowing. Talk to yourself. Don't listen. Life is really bad. Life is, oh, shut up. I'm going to talk to myself. That's what this man does. He doesn't just lie on his bed and cry. He cries out to the Lord. Now, as I understand it, depression can come to be to feel like a friend. It's just, you can get into a, a, a frame of mind where it's just easier. It's just so comfortable having depression. I mean, he's not a very nice friend, but he's, a, he's familiar. And change is just a bit more threatening. Now, talk to yourself. You have to preach to yourself. Because you'll hear... Um, you're here, you know, you're, you're, again, you'll think, oh, I don't want to go to church. No one will want to speak to me. Yes, they will. And depression can be very loyal to its own interpretation. So someone might say to you, you do realize that God loves you. You do realize that Jesus Christ loves you. And in your head you think, well, I'm afraid Jesus is just a mistake in this time. He doesn't know me as well as I know me. And Jesus, oh, will you shut up? Don't say that to someone. But you're wrong. Will you stop listening to yourself and talk to yourself? Uh, last century, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who if you don't say that Charles Spurgeon was the greatest preacher this country ever produced, you probably ought to say it about uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote a, a fairly significant treatment of the issue of, of depression. The most helpful chapter is the first chapter. And uh, he declares this, speaking on Psalm 42. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must ask your soul, why are you downcast? What business have you to be disquiet, disquieted? You must say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, of who God is, of what God has done, of what God has pledged himself to do. Defy yourself and say with this man, I will yet praise my God. I will praise my Savior and my God. And it's just, he's just saying that's what the psalmist does. He's saying, I mean, it's a bit odd. Do it, in, do it at home or with friends. Don't do it in the street. Why are you downcast? Why are you downcast? Obviously, obviously. But that's what he's doing. I, I refuse to listen to the lies. I am going to listen to who God is and what he has done and what he has promised. So don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. You have to talk to yourself. Last thing. Gather with the multitude. Talk to yourself. Third and last, put your hope in God. You see this refrain, it comes up over and over again. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Why? I will yet praise him. Don't gauge God's goodness by what you feel at this moment in time. Gauge it by, as Lord Jones says, who he is, what he has done, what he has promised to do. And know I will praise God again. I will praise him. I don't know when. Because you can't know then. You don't know how long a, a, a season of depression may last. But
but I will praise him again. I know that's true, even if it has to wait until heaven. I will praise him again, and I know that's true. My day will come in God's timing. It will come. And how, how do you be so certain? Because you say to yourself again, my Savior is a man of sorrows. Who could say my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death? Who felt so, felt the absence of God so acutely, so really, as he took the weight of sin upon the cross, that when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's true. He was forsaken in a way you and I will never be. And say to yourself, yes, Jesus Christ was forsaken and I will not be. Because he can, as well as saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He also says, of course, upon the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Or I put my hope in you and I know I'll praise you again. I trust you. And because Jesus has done that, even when you fail, even when you're weak, you will praise him again. You will praise him again. You'll praise him forever and eternity if you're a believer, regardless of how you feel now. Don't listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. Talk to yourself. Put your hope in God. Now, I found myself this week asking, do I, I have not had this man's experience I don't think I really want it. But boy, he knew God. He knew God. And he cried out to him. Let's pray together. Our Father, you know where we're at this evening, whether this feels a million miles away and very hard to relate to, whether... Um, it feels superficial and mocks us if we are in the middle of a period of depression. But Father, please, wherever we're at, would, would, you, would, you, would your spirit help us take away that which is useful to help other people? To be committed to gather with others, to whatever state we're in, to talk to ourselves the truths of the gospel rather than listening to lies so that we would hope in you, we pray. Amen. Now, this is a complicated subject. Um, and uh, once says medically, I'm no expert, um, although there are people here who are. Uh, so I, d I don't know if anyone wants to make a, a comment or, or a question, or I guess particularly if, if Jal or Joel wanted to nuance something. Um, If we have a friend who, it seems to us, is on a downward uh, depressive cycle, what's the most helpful thing uh, we can do uh, at our company? Um, is absolutely priceless. I mean, the comment, go gather with others. Um, sometimes you need to go to the person who is uh, spiraling down. You need to be honest with them and uh, say, look, it, it seems to me, I'm observing it, and it looks at what's going on. Talk about circumstances that might be playing into that. And it could be incredibly stressful situation in family. In, and you maybe look, you need to get out. Um, depending where they're at, you might want to say, 
I think you should go and ask your GP for advice. You know, they'll, I don't know what, you know, they'll, they'll give you advice, whether it's go on holiday, whether it's can we effectively fill out this little questionnaire to work out if you are genuinely on the, on the path to depression. Um, but I think this thing I'd say, don't, don't be scared. Don't feel you need to be an expert. You need to be a friend. Uh, so certainly uh, in our family, this is slightly dramatic, but I think I owe my wife to several people who are here this evening who just got alongside her and really pulled her out. Just with time. Just by spending time and helping her get out of a real pit. Um, that made all the difference in the world. So Emma's testimony, the, um, it, you need the company of others, yes, but you, you need them to pray with you. When, when, when you're low, depressed, it's very hard to pray. And so having others come alongside you and pray, simple prayers, simple prayers that they can copy, um, it's very, very helpful indeed. Thank you.